Pitching Week continues with part two of our pitcher previews. Nick Pollock of Pitcher List joins us to deep dive some ATC undervalued starters and give his strategy for 2022 drafts. That's all coming up next here on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, and we have the very latest FSWA Podcast of the Year, Baseball Podcast of the Year award winner on the show. This is his first show since winning the award. We are so delighted to have Mr. Pitcherlist himself, Nick Pollock. Congratulations, buddy. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I, I got to say, if there was an award for theme music at the beginning of a podcast, I think you guys would win it. Yes. Just want to let you know that. I don't think yes. I've heard that before. What wasn't here last time I was here. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Yes, that is, uh, that is what we went for. Unfortunately, there is no FSWA award for podcast <laughs> theme song of the year in, in any sport. Intro music. No intro. intro. It, re- no. it really should be, though. I mean, that's like full house vibes, and yes. I'm here for it. Well, we have a little bit of theme music once we do the trivia later in the episode. Yes. Hopefully you'll enjoy that as well. Uh, but have you been, Nick? Uh, I was excited to come see you uh, down in Florida next uh, next week, but unfortunately, because of what's going on, the lockout, we won't see each other. But uh, how you doing? Oh, I'm do- I'm doing great, um, and I I'm sure we'll catch a game this year. We'll find time. Yeah, we'll figure it out, Ariel. I I am I am very upset though. I was saying to you guys beforehand that I have yet to actually sit in on any live auction since you know I, I joined Labor and Tout back in 2020. And I thought, oh, man, this is finally, finally I'm going to get it in person. Nope, not going to happen. Tout's also in, uh, you know, is virtual as well this year. So I guess I'm just going to have to wait for another year to have the, the true auction experience with Ariel Cohen. Is that a thing? I don't even know if it is. I was just Maybe it is. Maybe it is. It is? It is, because I hypnotize the audiences. That's the uh, There it is. And you, that's how you get all the values. I knew there was something right. you were doing, Ariel. I knew it. <laughs> Yep, and next uh, year it is going to be in uh, North Dakota at Andy Barron's house. <laughs> that is a private Excellent. joke with us, but uh, there you go. <laughs> All right, we'll start the, the show here. Uh, first, we want to talk a little bit about the lockout in our strategy section and how it affects the season. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about pitchers. Obviously, if the season starts late, what's going to happen is you're going to have spring training is going to be a little bit compressed. Right, they're not going to do a whole spring training. They're going to do something a la 2020. What they do, plus you're going to have young pitchers with it, supposed inning caps probably pitching a larger percentage of the season. Right, if they're only going to go maximum 120, well, 120 would have been over 162 games, but now 120 innings over 140 games, whatever it is, is a higher percentage. So that might increase the value. Can you talk about how the spring training is going to affect pitchers and how uh, some of the quirks of going to a shorter season would affect how you would buy or roster pitchers in drafts? First of all, I need to get all of this evil juju out of here, okay? (laughs) All right, there will be a full season. I will talk to my people, and I'll make it happen. All All right. right. Okay? 
But uh, but right, there is a very good point you're making here saying, look, like spring trading, we already know is going to be shorter in some way if there is one and how that's going to look. Um, and honestly, I hadn't really thought much about this uh, until, you know, you sent me these notes just because Mr. Optimism over here. I'm trying not to do that. I did my ranks, you know, February 8th uh, is when they came out. So I hadn't really adapted for that. Um, I would probably say the the strategies that I normally go for especially in a 12 team and that's how I pretty much talk. So just as a reference point for everybody um, is more so of chasing the interesting items or not items, interesting guys early in the season. And that really get illuminated in the spring that give us some information. For example, last year we knew that Carlos Rodon was throwing harder before opening day. There was hype. We, I pushed them up my ranks before opening day because, hey, Carlos Rodon is throwing 95 in the spring right now, and he's supposed to be throwing 93 or so. Um, but there are a list of guys that I have that I'm going to be putting out an article about who I'm looking at uh, the first week of the season that we might not get a good glimpse of them during the spring. And what I mean by that is like the last round guys you want to get in your 12-teamers where you'll know after the first start if you actually want to continue with this pitcher or move to someone else, which are the guys I heavily recommend in a 12-teamer because you don't want to be stuck with a middling pitcher for the month of April, and then you don't get the opportunity to get the guys that actually could win your league, like Adam Wainwright and Robbie Ray last year for quick examples. So a couple of those are like Steven Strasburg, Sixto Sanchez, Carlos Carrasco, all three of those guys, I mean, especially the first two, are they healthy and are, is their velocity normal? With Carrasco, I want to know if his slider and changeup are good. Um, there's Luzardo is the pitch mix that we saw from last year still there. Eric Lauer's velocity still up. Same with Tristan McKenzie. And without the spring training that we would normally know, it's harder for us to make an, uh, a properly educated assumption about the velocity sticking or not, right? Like you might see some more time needed for Justin Dunn to get back to his increased velocity. Um, so that might be make me a little bit more hesitant to go into that, which then says ultimately what your question was, like what strategy changes? Well, I might be more comfortable going for someone like Cal Quantrill for the first week of the season or two, just because I'll feel more comfortable starting him. I don't know if necessarily Cal Quantrill is the best example, but essentially just a Toby type uh, the first week or two based on the matchups than I would be chasing other guys that I would have been considering because I think they might need another week or two to get to a point where I would be comfortable starting them. Yeah, I mean, I advocate for drafting a middle reliever just because you don't know mm. about some of the your last, you know, your sixth or seventh starter on the team. Um, I, I would for sure do that into this season because, you know, I don't want a blow up to affect my ERA, and uh, that's why I'd rather be safer in the first two weeks before the pitchers have totally enough time to ramp up and you don't know how some of those pitcher experiments are going. Uh, Ruvain, anything to add on this? Yeah, I hope that MLB and, and the Players Association learned something from the shortened spring training from 2020, that a lot of pitchers got injured from not having the proper ramping up when they were supposed to, and they may actually work into an agreement saying that, you know what, we want an, we'll have this agreement, but we want a full spring training because we don't want our players to get hurt. Mm. So it's very possible we may have the full spring training, just less games during the course of the season. And how it affects the draft? It makes the top pitchers more valuable because those guys, you know they're going to get the inning at some point. You know their secured spots 
you know that they're going to get you those strikeouts because they'll have more innings. So I think those top pitchers actually get more, while the bottom pitchers, yes, you'll get some of the pitchers who have innings limits will, won't have that issue, but they're going to be the fourth and fifth starter. They're not going to, you know, they may start every other start through the rotation. They may not get up to their full strength right away, so it may play into their uh, usage during the very early part of the season. Yeah, we had on Brian Bannister from the uh, Giants on the show last week, and he was saying that we are prepared, and 2020 was our test case. We're prepared to do the ramp-up in whatever time. So they're, they're ready for this, um, you know, all the teams, I think. Um, let's talk about general draft strategy. And uh, we had on Alex Chamberlain last week on our show, who gave us some of his. And uh, I think it's it's a good question to ask both of you. So, you know, before we get into specific questions, what is your general draft strategy on what you hope to accomplish with uh, starting pitchers? And I would say both for an auction and for a snake draft, because I think it's a little bit different for each of them. Ariel, you can't ask me this a week before our labor draft. Come what? on, Ariel. <laughs> Get out of here. No, I'm, I'm taking joking. notes. Uh, I'm taking notes. First of all, go listen to whatever Alex Chamberlain said and just follow what he said. Um, but uh, I mean, OK, so it's obviously different for a snake and it is an auction. Um, with auction, it's I uh, I think it kind of is is surprisingly similar for me. I'm doing these mock drafts live on my Twitch channel. Hey, twitch.tv slash pitchless. Come on by uh, on Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. I do them every week. And uh, while we've infused some fun of having a wheel of doom that I have to spin and I have to do whatever the wheel tells me to do in my mock draft, it is you know helping me understand the flow of 12-teamers and how I'm comfortable crafting my rotation uh and what i have found is i i in 12 teamers right now i think i can do this i'm going to be trying again on tuesday but going after starting pitching in the sixth seventh and eighth round because i love i love the pitchers that are there which are essentially my 15 through 29 30 starters so that's like Jack Flaherty's in there a lot. You maybe get the last remnants of maybe Kevin Gaussman or Joe Musgrove. Um, you Darvish and Blake Snell and Alec Manoa, uh, Shane McClanahan. There's so many really talented pitchers, Charlie Morton, that if I get three of those, I feel so locked in. Um, and also for me personally, I need to go after as many elite hitters as possible because my biggest weakness, which I'm sure is not everyone's weakness listening to this, is finding hitting midseason. Why? Because I focus so much on starting pitching, it's a lot easier for me to find that and be effective in it. Uh, I mean, hey, Ariel, you saw me last year. I drafted all the hitting, <laughs> and that's how I made it to the semis of, of Tout Wars. Yes. Um, and I, I was able to find, uh, say, Patrick Sandoval on the wire midseason, that kind of stuff, and I got Adam Wainwright in that one. Um, that was just pure luck. But anyway, uh, I think it was facing the Pirates. I was like, sure, I'll spend to get him for this one week of the Pirates. And then he just kept being amazing forever. Um, but what I'm getting at is in a snake draft, I really like going after those, you know, that trio around there and then forming a full rotation on that. In auction, I might be finding myself doing, doing the same thing. At the same time, I am going to try to get um one higher ranked starter earlier on there's always at least one inside like the top 15 that goes at a discount relative to the others and then if you wait too long like last year i just spend over 20 dollars. you made me do this ariel i had to spend what? over 20 dollars on zach wheeler 
even though Zach Wheeler was universally ranked as the 25th to 30th starter or so. And that's because uh, I waited too long to jump on other guys inside the top 15, top 20. So it's a little bit different. I think I might spend for that, you know, de facto number one in an auction. But that general flow of trying to get those guys that I rank currently in the 20s uh, for starters is, I think, the most optimal way uh, to craft your rotation in an auction draft. And I, and we weren't even in a live auction where I could hypnotize no. you. Not yet. <laughs> you know? True. <laughs> um, now, I, I, I don't disagree with your plan. I think that we, we talked with Alex about doing something similar this year. Um, and that's because... Uh, we found a lot of risk, especially in the first four rounds. Usually we get mm. a little bit less risk. Some, well, you got to take this guy solid, solid, and you're paying for the, the certainty. But a lot of question marks in the first couple of rounds with DeGrom and with Bieber. Um, is uh, Burns going to have the volume? Uh, Bueller is, you know, his his uh, Sierra is much larger than his ERA. A lot of question marks. Um is part of why you're going in the sixth, seventh, eighth rounds, is it because you yourself are a much better pitcher analyst than hitter analyst? Not to say that you're a bad hitter analyst, but obviously you're a far better hit a pitcher. And do you tilt that way because you have the certainty of knowing the better pitchers later on? And maybe for the casual listener, hey, you know, maybe it's better for them to grab a pitcher in the top four rounds? Or do you think that this really is a year of the values not there in the top four or five? That's a great question, um, and I think absolutely. I I generally gravitate to this whenever I can, um, and I have the faith of not only if I you know of actually the talent of this area, but also if I don't do exact you know if it doesn't exactly go right, I believe that I can figure something out to get back into it. While if I did the reverse with hitting, that I would struggle a lot more to to figure out or to to fill in the holes. That I would have filled. I will say, um, I am a huge, huge believer in Sandy Alcantara, and I have seen some drafts where he's outside of the top three rounds, where a guy like Shane Bieber goes ahead of him. And if I can get Sandy Alcantara comfortably in the middle of the fourth round, if I'm you know sixth in my snake draft, and all of a sudden the fourth round comes around, there's Sandy, I would be really hard pressed to turn that down. Uh, which I've seen somewhat, like a couple times. I wasn't in that ex- exact position, but I've seen that possibility. And he is the one guy. I mean, I currently have him at eight. I was actually even tempted to put him at seven above DeGrom just because of the massive risk that is Jacob DeGrom, um, in my view at least. I think this just inevitability when it comes to injury. Ravain, you can probably speak better to that than me. Uh, but it's, it, it's terrifying. And Sandy Alcantara to me is a bona fide ace, essentially. It's just we haven't seen it for as long as the others, so I had to put him at eight. Okay, so I have to question you about Sandy Alcantara. Please do. Um, I have him. Uh, ATC has him as the number 16 starting pitcher. Understood, because he only um, had a 24% K rate last year, right? He had a 24% K rate um, in the mostly concentrated in the second half. His swinging strike rate was 15%, which was amazing in the second half, but wasn't great in the first half. His career no. swinging strike rate has been only 10%. His bat oh, yeah. for in his career is 270. He's lucky. Mm. His Sierra is over a run higher than his career ERA. Uh, why are we betting on just a half season of Sandy Alcantara? Because he's the nicest guy you will ever meet, Ariel Cohen. <laughs> Now, <laughs> Sandy Alcantara to me. So um, I'm certainly a believer in tweaks and changes, and uh, you know, and and pitchers coming into form. 
it's something that I, I've preached for a long time. Uh, I remember actually, um, I don't ever really want to talk about this player, but I remember when Trevor Bauer had an amazing second half and all of a sudden changed his approach and all of a sudden he had his breakout season the year after. And it's that kind of story, um, I think, with Alcantara as well, where he went to a slider instead of a changeup predominantly overall in the full season. 24% usage between the changeup and the slider. But Alcantara went to his slider about 32% of the time and all of a sudden had a 30% strikeout rate in those final two months. Um, the dude throws 97, 98 miles per hour with, a, with an absurd, absurdly good sinker. I had to say it twice because it is that absurd. Um, a 37% O swing on it. It's it just it, 71% strike rate. It, it's so good. Um, and then with that slider, he really took it to another level. And the changeup that he did use about, say, 15 to 20% instead of the 25 to 30% before, it's still an excellent pitch in its own right. 45% O swing, 43% zone rate, 18% swing strike rate. I call that a money pitch. And uh, I think he just has not only the repertoire to suggest dominance, but also the freedom to do so. 206 innings last year for the Marlins. The one negative I can understand completely is that you only had nine wins last year because the Marlins are still the Marlins. Um it's possible he gets one more win and gets to 10 wins because I think he's going to be overall a better pitcher. Uh, so I think Sandy Alcantara, as far as ratios and strikeouts, and you'll be so happy to have him um, with that slider becoming more of a predominant pitch for him and powered by a sinker four-seamer combo. That, by the way, the four-seamer had a fourteen, sorry, 13% swing strike rate, um, and that's really, really good too. Uh, so I think we've seen Sandy get better every single year. And this is the year that he truly becomes. Oh yeah, let's. We all understand how good Sandy Alcantara is. So I, I, I guess, I guess you're the believer that good pitching beats good hitting because he's in a very tough division. The Mets lineup got better. The Braves just won a World Series without Ronald Acuna. Whether they have Freddie Freeman or not, we'll find out. The Phillies have a decent lineup also. That's a very tough division. You're not nervous about that. They, they play each other. I mean, normally 19 times per season. That that's about four or five starts against those teams, and those are not light hitting teams that's that's a very interesting point um no <laughs> i i do i do believe for the most part good pitching beats good hitting and i you know quick pushback but i don't know how much i really believe and you can argue you know he did really well last year despite it yes no acuna but uh maybe the you know maybe atlanta's uh losing freeman for example the nationals are soto and soto um and the Phillies you never know what you're going to get from them and I think you guys know very well are the Mets ever actually going to be good are yeah. they you know you don't know what you're going to get on a given night from them as well um I I truly do believe Sandy Alcantara being him um it doesn't really matter uh how the NL East looks yeah, no, certainly solid. Very good ATC risk metrics. And the big number you mentioned is over 200 innings last year. Uh, it's very hard to find innings, and innings matter quite a bit in fantasy. So uh, he's got a lot of good points. His trend is up and up and up, so I can't can't dispute that. I'm just hesitant to, to really bet a second or third round pick on a half a season of eliteness. That's my There's, reserve. Yeah. I get that completely. Uh, I mean, that's why I have I have him at eight. I will say this: I can't I can't help myself. I it's fantasy baseball, and to me, fantasy baseball is supposed to be one thing, and that's fun. True. I get True. so much joy watching Sandy Alcantara pitch, and if anybody listening hasn't actually done so, hasn't really sat down and just watched a Sandy Alcantara game, watch one of his double digit strikeout games from August, and just 
just feel the dominance, feel the aura of just uh, suffering that the hitters are emitting going against Sandy Alcantara. It is so much fun. It, and there's nothing quite like having a guy on your roster that you get so excited that it's Wednesday and you know on Thursday Sandy Alcantara is pitching and he's going to be pitching for my team. That's how you feel rostering Sandy Alcantara. All right, Nick, maybe we'll uh, go to a Met game versus Alcantara this yes. year. Maybe let's do that. Yes, please. Can we do that? That would be great. All right. Love it. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get Carrasco again. You never know. <laughs> maybe he'll have both his slider and changeup working. That would yeah. be a wonderful thing. That would be maybe wonderful. Get out, maybe he'll get out of the first inning. That's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we saw him throw a bad slider to yeah. Chris Bryant, I think, and he took it over the That's fence. He's right. like, throw your changeup more, please. And then he did. He had a decent start after that. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I had uh, Alex Wood in that game, and I was playing you that weekend oh, yeah. head-to-head. Right. And then he gave up the t- – I had the win, and then he gave up the <laughs> home run to Pete Alonzo, and that cost me the W. It's so. the only way that I got to the semis in tout. Yeah. So thank you, Pete Alonzo. There you thank go. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, before we get to our ATC undervalued players, we're going to do the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Oh, yes. Well, this week, the trivia is going to be talking about pitchers who have thrown shutouts because the first person we're going to talk about, first pitcher we're going to talk about, is actually one of the answers, so I'm giving away part of the answer. But last year, eight pitchers had two or more complete games. Name them. Okay, so two pitchers? Eight pitchers had yeah. two or more complete games. Can okay. you name all eight? Oh, my Lord, no. Um, <laughs> okay. I'll go Garrett, Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole had two complete games. Okay. okay. Um, Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright had three. Um, let's go with Walker Bueller. Nope. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think Joe Musgrove did. Yes, Joe Musgrove, because we're going to be talking about him. So, yes, Joe Musgrove had two complete games. Oh, I should have gotten oh, that. Uh, uh, Zach Wheeler's <laughs> got to be on there, right? Zach Wheeler yeah. had three. Sandy Alcantara did it. No, he did not. Really? What? Not, more than, not, not two or more. The other Get pitchers include, we mentioned Wheeler and Wainwright. Herman Marquez had three I was going to guess him next. Oh, my God. Yeah. Max Fried had two. Oh, okay. Anthony yeah. Desclafani had two. Really? And Sean Manaya had two. Wow. So that's very interesting. Those are the people, people who pitched two or more complete games last year. And I mention this because the first pitcher we're going to talk about is Joe Musgrove. He's a very good pitcher. In 2019, he had 31 starts, 170 innings. Last year, 31 starts, 181 innings. His K rate in 2019 was 8. In 2020, it was 12.5. Last year was 10. You can expect someone probably somewhere in the middle like that. His Babbitt was a little bit lucky this past year. But if you notice one thing, I was going through his past seasons, his left, uh, his left on base percentage changed dramatically when he left the Pirates. It was below 70 with the left on, meaning more runs were scored when the runners were on base. When he got to Houston and San Diego, he was stranding a lot more runners. So that's probably why he was able to finish more games. The defense was a little bit better in those, in those places. So I am very high in Joe Musgrove. 15th highest strikeout total according to ATC projections for the coming year. He had 203 last year. Uh, he what an ERA 318 108 WHIP. Um, you know he he comes up as a little bit of a you have to pay a little premium for him. Although 
it relative to what the market is pricing, he's a discount. Like it's you know everyone the market is a little bit high on pitching for that range, but he's one of the better ones in that range. And it's exactly in your wheelhouse, sixth round roughly, Nick. Oh yeah. Um, you know he he was much better in the first half than in the second half. It looked like he was getting tired. I, I'm gonna think that it's getting tired, not that he was uh just worse like i i think maybe if if he wasn't fatigued he would be the same pitcher do you do you get that do you think that he can do what he did in the first half and complete that for the whole year you know it's kind of funny um 2019 and 2020 i i remember distinctly being seduced by joe musgrove's septembers and i always thinking like i remember 2019 he had this really nice september i'm thinking "Mm, maybe i'm back in for 2020 even though he's still on the pirates and then he you know, it's 2020 is that year. And then September, he does really well. I'm like, I might be back in the next year. And then all of a sudden, yeah, 2021 is on the Padres now and has his 318 ERA and 108 whip. Um, and by the way, you mentioned that it's in my wheelhouse. I just got to say, it's really nice to have a wheelhouse. You know, if anybody says like, hey, that is your wheelhouse, you should feel good about that. Yeah. Okay. I just want everybody listening. If you have a wheelhouse, yeah, that's great. Good for yeah. you for having a wheelhouse. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, with Musgrove, so in those seasons, he never really tired out, right? 2019, for example, 170 innings in September was fantastic for him. So I'm not too concerned about 2021 being a major stamina thing for him, uh, that he wasn't as good in August and September, 181 innings. I kind of see Musgrove as I would be targeting him as my SP one. Honestly, I might actually be moving Musgrove up. I think to 18 is what I've been saying lately above Chris sale for me. Uh, wow. He has a slider okay. and curveball that are both phenomenal, and he combines to throw them over 50% of the time. I think, and if anything, for Joe Musgrove, he can be better, whereas cutter, four-seamer, and sinker just get hit way too hard. Uh, it's it's a problem for him, but the slider and curveball are just that good that it allows him to get through a ton of starts pretty easily. He's just trying to sneak in the four-seamer and sneak in the cutter and get some strikes I, I think he can improve on them. I think he can, and it used to be uh, an offering, at least the fastballs were, that got him through games uh, really effectively, especially for the Pirates. And I think he can return that to that with the fastball, with a four-seamer more specifically than the sinker. Well, the cutter, just please don't allow home runs. That would be really nice if you can do that, Joe Musgrove, one day. Uh, but yeah, I just think the slider and curveball are such amazing offerings for Joe Musgrove that they're going to continue uh, to drive him through innings. And I will say, traditionally, with secondary pitches, you do see lower strike rates, something around 60%. It's harder for them to get them. Seeing the slider at 68% strike rate last year is excellent. And I see that near a 30% mark. I won't be surprised if he throws a slider closer to 35 40% as he does pull back maybe on cutters and four-seamers. Yeah, no, I think he's got tremendous upside. And, you know, ATC actually has a very low intra-projectional standard deviation. Projections agree on this guy. And they agree that he is, you know, at least that value and a small bargain relative to the market. Uh, I like Joe Musgrove a lot for this year as well. Um, what about oh, a no. similar... I'm sorry? <laughs> disagree with me. Please just disagree. So I no. know in labor we can, like, cut a deal, <laughs> you know? Well, well, we, we disagree about Alcantara. You can have him. I'm not yes. touching him. Yeah. Okay, great. Wait, are we, we're also yeah, in tout again, right? We are Someone? in both leagues. That's oh right. Oh, my God. Why yeah. do I have to go against Ariel? Jesus. <laughs> well, I have to go fair. against you. <laughs> and now, no, I'm not the one who has won multiple times and has an FSWA for writer of the year. So, you know what? 
I I gotta I gotta figure this out. I gotta give you some lies here moving forward. Keep you on your toes. All right, Nick Pollock, your next lie is <laughs> Kevin Gaussman. <laughs> uh, similar in value and similar in relative value to Musgrove. Uh, it's funny, uh, Reuven and I are in a, a home league, and we have a choice to keep for the same price. Kevin Gaussman or Joe Musgrove, we're debating. Um, I think it's going to be Joe Musgrove for us, but I think wow. Kevin Gaussman would still have been interesting. You know, thirty percent strikeout last year, two hundred and twenty-seven strikeouts, walk rate under seven percent. He is moving to a tougher park and a very tougher d- d- division. That concerns me. New team, new contract, always concerning. He does have a lot of innings. He he will pitch a lot. Low inter-projectional standard deviation, so projections agree. So I, I think he is a good buy, but I do prefer Musgrove to Gaussman. Your thoughts on him, Nick? I mean, I actually kind of want to hear why you're going Musgrove over Gaussman. Is it really just because of the division? Uh, division a little bit, uh, a little bit better. They're, they're very similar. I mean, to me, to me, this is a hot spot. If if I'd be happy to take Musgrove or Gaussman, gun to the head, I'm taking Musgrove only oh, because hey. he's a dollar two or more, you know, on my ATC list. But uh, honestly, it, it's it's a it's a hot spot. It's the wheelhouse for you, and I I, I kind of <laughs> think that if you know if it's up to the spot and you say, all right, I'm going to give you Gaussman, great, I'll take him the same spot. Okay. Well, first of all, I. Never gun to the head. Never introducing violence. Oh, okay. okay. Yes, yes. I hope that you'll just answer the question without uh, a threat from me. Yes. But no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually really like Gaussman a lot. And I, I know there is that fear of the AL East. Um, I will say that we've seen Ryu have a ton of success in the AL East. We've seen Robbie Ray have a ton of success in the AL East, specifically in Toronto. And when you look at the skill set of what Gaussman brings to the table, I understand how hard it is to really grasp and predict next year. But essentially 2020 and 2021 were really similar uh, as to what he brought to the table. And the fact that Gaussman did this for two years and what this is, uh, is a harder fastball. So we're talking 95 miles per hour as opposed to the 93, 94 um, that we saw before uh, on his four-seamer. But also an elite, and I mean the highest strike rate you will find on a fastball at 75%. And why that is so important is because it doesn't get crushed a ton. Only had 255 batting average allowed. It did allow a decent amount of hard hit uh, percentage, hard contact percentage last year. But the results were good enough that it allowed him to get to his splitter. And it's funny. We just talked to Alex Chamberlain, and the whole joke is, Nick, why do you hate splitters all the time? Um, and I generally do when it's your number two pitch because splitters are the most inconsistent pitch in baseball. It's just how you grip it. They generally create blisters, all this stuff. The only exception I make is Kevin Gaussman's, who's had unbelievable consistency with this pitch throughout his entire career, always above 20% swing strike rates, always super low batting averages allowed, all of this stuff. It's just always been amazing, and what do you know? Last year, it was still amazing. Uh, so... I see a guy who has a better fastball at setting up this elite splitter once again. And I don't think it changes a whole lot going to uh, Toronto now. I'm not saying a 2-8-1 ERA is coming for Gaussman. But, uh, this, you know, this idea that all of a sudden he's going to get a full take of ERA up to 3-8 now uh, with a whip that wouldn't be amazing still considering that he has a 6% walk rate that is it hasn't been above 7% uh, for ages, if ever, really. And I don't really see Gaussman changing much with the whip. So 
I love this. 192 innings last year. He's going to be on a winning team um, in Toronto as well. Sure, you can add a little bit more ERA, but I think he's going to be really, really good for you. And uh, I'm in. Do you prefer Gaussman or Musgrove? I prefer Gaussman. I okay. think that the the foundation is a little bit more stable uh, with what Gaussman has done because he's done, done it not only in 2021, but did it in 2020 as well. And for uh, for Musgrove, I really like the slider. The curveball's a little bit worse, but still good. But the fact that they, the fastball, four-seamer sinker and cutter for Musgrove are still a work in progress pulls it back just a little bit. I mean, I think I, think I have Gaussman at 12, and I have Musgrove now at 18. And they're in the same tier to me. There's all these guys. There's like Giolito. There's Flaherty. There's Lynn. Yeah. There's, they're, they're all great. <laughs> so spot. you should really feel upset about uh, Oh, that's what you meant by hotspot. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I got hot you Hotspot is when you have a couple of similarly valued players that are for slight bargains. That The theory mm. is that I don't know who I'm going to get, but if I have four or five of them in that spot, I'll get one of them at that ADP, and I'd be happy because it's a bargain. Yeah, the trick is in an auction, let's say there were five of them, you go and target the third or fourth because by the yes. time the fifth comes around, then everyone's paying for it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Ruvain, your, your thoughts on them? Yeah, remember, the last time Gaussman wasn't good was when he was in the AL East. Yes, he was on Baltimore, and yes, he's learned how to pitch since he left there, but still, there is a psychological aspect to this and that he didn't perform well you know, playing at Yankee Stadium and and at and at Boston mm. and stuff like that. So that may still be in his head. Yes, he's a different person. It's point. been years since then. He will still get those strikeouts, and we and I still like him. I'm not I'm not going to not pick him because he's moving to the AL East. But I prefer Joe Musgrove more just because he's not in that division. Because I think Musgrove's in a better division for him. Hey, I think that's a really good point. There's a thing we say on our podcast, which is Alex Thinkfast has arrived. Whenever you talk about the mental part of the game. Uh, I will counter it by saying, would Kevin Gaussman sign with the Blue Jays if he still felt that it affected him? I think he signed where the money was. It's not. Yeah, a, that's not a, fair I, I, yeah. I think because he, he, is, he is 31. He signed, what, a four-year deal, a three-year deal? Yeah. I He's not going to get year. another big payday coming up after, after right. this. So but you got to take where the money else is. offered it. But maybe not. Yeah, maybe that's like, oh, I didn't. I really don't want to be in the alias, but the Blue Jays gave me that much money. So fine. and the Blue Jays okay. are an up and coming team, so he thinks that he can get onto their get onto their coattails. Maybe he thought that the Giants overachieved last year, which they probably did just a little bit, and he just wanted to not necessarily jump ship, but to get onto another train that's speeding ahead. Sure, and I don't know if you realized though, it was in Canadian dollars. So, ah, yes. uh, so it's not as much money as he thought. I'm kidding. True. Way, guys. Higher tax rate also. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the train metaphor. Good one, Ruben. Um, no problem. Uh, before we do the next one, I usually don't do this, but uh, we had on Nick on our show last year talking about this player, and I just want to play the clip of what you said about him last year. Oh, yeah. Time. I didn't like him at all. Uh, Nick, uh, what are your thoughts about Sean Manaya? Are you interested, and uh, where am I wrong? Eh, I don't really care for Sean Manaya this year. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> and and yep. a twelve teamer, right? Uh, I I, uh, I understand fifteen teamer. I think there's a little bit more value. Um, I think he's very borderline of what I call a Toby, um, which if he you was. don't know a Toby, he's someone who you work with who gets the job done, but you don't really like him. Um, and that's obviously Toby from the Office. 
Um, and Shamania is going to be teetering with your waiver wire, I think, a lot in, in a 12-teamer because, I mean, he doesn't strike out guys. You know, 20% rate last year, near 17% in 2018. He had that really weird blip when he came back for September in 2019, but that was not stable. We all knew that. It's about 20 innings or so. Well, uh, he had a 26% strikeout rate last year for 194 <laughs> strikeouts. So ATC Projections won Nick Pollock zero well, for Well, no. Okay, so hold on a second. <laughs> Two things. Two things I want to tell you. One, um, I knew that that's not a surprise gotcha. I said before, and oh, yeah, I was out. I think I had him at 86 entering last year. Yep. Not going to run away from that. I will tell you. That through his first nine starts last year, when I said he was teetering with the waiver wire, so this is after his start on May 18th, Sean Manaya had a 4.41 ERA and a 1.33 WHIP, okay, with a really? 23% K rate. So think about yourself in the league as a manager. You would have dropped Sean Manaya. I mean, that's just what would have happened, and it would have been the right thing to do given the entire history of it. We didn't know. That all of a sudden, Shaw Manaya, a guy who was going, who had a fastball averaging around 90 miles per hour for ages and was still there for most of the season in the beginning, was all of a sudden, by the end of the year, having starts at 93-plus, right? And that's what changed all of a sudden. I actually got to talk with Andrew Triggs uh, over the offseason. Go listen to the Talking Pitching podcast. It's awesome. And he talks about his shoulder um, when, over time, even though he came back from pitching, there were times that he still needed to heal his shoulder, and he wasn't still at 100% until later on. And that was his guess about Manaya, who he still talks to, that he needed more time to uh, recover from his shoulder injury, and that that's why we saw the increased velocity in the second half. So it may be a little bit more interested about Manaya maybe into this year and believing possibly that the velocity on that sinker can you know, be legitimate. I, but yeah, I don't, I don't run away from that clip. That was, that was good. That was right. Um, and yeah, what no. you should have done is then listen to me mid season and then realize, Hey, Sean, is throwing really hard now. Now he's all of a sudden gotten like double digit strikeouts. And I stuff. didn't have that clip available. Ah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's all of a sudden changed my night. But at the end of the day, it was still a three, nine, one year rate, a one twenty three whip, which is kind of close to the Toby, not the 26% K rate. But for yeah. this year, you're wondering, hey, so how do we feel about Manaya? I don't know. I don't really want to go after it again. I mean, I would if you, you say, hey, Nick, you get Sean Manaya on your team. And it doesn't cost anything. I'm like, absolutely. Let's go. Well, I mean, let's do it, this. Can he, but, I mean, what if you split the difference between what he did in 2020 and 2021? Is that, I mean, well, if you split the difference, you that. still get uh, you still get something decent. I mean, that's like a 24% strikeout rate. And, and a 12-teamer, ERA. a 420 ERA is what that is. And I don't want that. You know, okay. uh, not even for the jokes. I don't want that. So I, okay. with, with Manaya, I mean, it's. It, I will say this about Manaya. He kind of, you know, I'm going to add him to the list of these. Like, I guess it's not late, but are the guys that I'm very curious about the first week of the season, because if Sean Manaya goes out there and he's throwing 90, 91, ah, I'm disappointed. But all of a sudden, if it's like no 92.4, Nick on that four seamer. Or that sinker, I'm like, ah ha ha, yeah. You you, you might still have it here. Um, He's the now, type of player it, that that spring training would be very important for you yes, to look at, right? Exactly. Okay. So I'm curious about Manaya. I don't think the changeup and curveball are too exceptional for me to say like, no, that's what's going to save Sean Manaya. 
I mean, he did a really good job of getting strikes with his changeup last year, about 70% rate versus the 62 and 66 that we saw previously. That's good. The curveball, 13% uh, swing strike rate, but he got strikes with a 31% CSW, you know, good called strike rate on it. They helped, but really it was that sinker just taking over. 13% swing strike rate on it, despite a 60% usage is really nice for Manaya, and I, I hope, I hope that he can replicate that. Last year was the first year he had a, a complete offseason, a normal offseason after the shoulder surgery. So he, he got he mm. pictures or a creature or a habit. It's slow. It took a while. I mean, my concern is that he'll have Johan Santana syndrome where he'll have a good season. And then after shoulder surgery, he'll have a good season. And then you'll see it. This is the spring training. You'll see a drop in velocity. And then he just falls off. And then that's the end of it because that's what you have to be worried about him. But otherwise, he's been pretty stable um, when he when he goes out there. You know what you're going to get. It's not like you're putting a rookie out there. You don't know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to get from Sean Manaya. In 15 team leagues, he's going in the ninth, 10th round. So $4 bargain. Mm. It's on the cusp of being interesting. Four dollars? Uh, yeah, I mean, if I get him in tout, you let me get him for four dollars, please do. That'd be great. Four dollar bargain, bargain. Oh, I see. Okay, so you're saying a discount of four dollars, right? Not that he's going at four. I. Uh, no. By the way, Ravine, I, I just want to say when you said uh, Johan Santana syndrome, I think he's good enough to not be turned in a negative way. I'm going to say Johan Santana syndrome is throwing a no hitter for a club that needs it. Okay. That's what. Yeah, well, well, that's the that's that's thing. Didn't Shomanaya had had a no hitter or a perfect game? We threw a bunch of pitches also. That didn't help him either. It's it's that's the syndrome where they come back from an injury <laughs> and they push themselves too much. In it doesn't have to be like a certain game or something like that. Even Joe Musgrove last year when he threw that when he threw the no hitter, he threw 110 pitches. It wasn't yeah. 125 pitches. Yeah, it wasn't he 130 an extra pitches. Day of rest for that one. I, yeah, it was. Yes, and, and they were we and, and yep. exactly because people learn from their mistakes. Yeah, I mean, Spencer Turnbull was the greatest stream I've ever suggested, but uh guess who got Tommy John last year? Yeah, yeah. So I think Manaya is close. He definitely is somebody you should uh, have a strong eye on because if you see something that he looks the same as last year, he's definitely a pitcher worth taking. Right. Uh, so, you know, check a look on that. And I think he's going to be up and down, even with the velocity. Uh, last year he had it on the 20th against Seattle. Right, but he gave it four and runs then, and then it dropped in the last two starts. It was close to down to ninety one, but he did well in those two starts. So right. you don't really know. It's 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 an up and down, almost undulating like a sine wave for uh, for Shamanaya a bit. So Carlos Rodon is going in the tenth round. Last year he earned twenty six dollars rotisserie value. He's going for an auction equivalent of just ten dollars this year. Now I don't think we think he's going to have the two three seven ERA point nine six WHIP. But ATC projections have him at a mid-threes with a 114 whip, good strikeout rate, 160 strikeouts in just 129 innings. Question is, why didn't the White Sox sign him again? Seems a little silly. What, what are we missing? 36% strikeout rate last year. What are we missing here, and is he a bargain for you? He is so good. Carlos, I, I really have to emphasize a lot. I know the risk of the shoulder, and we just don't know what's going on as pushed Carlos Rodon down in drafts. But really, he is so, so good. Third in ERA last year among starters. Sixth in whip. Fourth in strikeout rate. I mean, think about it this way. If Rodon did not have, you know, sign with the team and said, I have a fine shoulder. Like, imagine if we do have a normal spring training of some kind, like March 15th, there's spring training games, everything's okay. 
And we see Rodon, and he's throwing 94. You know, that could ramp up into 95 because previous seasons, 93 was what he was throwing. And last year, all of a sudden, he says, hey, I'm going to have a couple games where I sit 97. Sit 97, throwing triple digits at times. If Rodon is just throwing 94.5 or so and then get up to 95, that's a top 10 pitcher almost. I mean, for when, for like quality of inning when he pitches. It's insane how good Carlos Rodon is. I The question is how much you get out of him. And in deeper leagues, you're more impacted by that because the replacement player is a lot worse, of course, than a 12-teamer. So I'm obviously very conflicted about this. I, I If you had to, you know, in a non-threatening way, without any violence, asking this question that I had to give you an answer for, I would say that Carlos Rodon is likely going to repeat what he did last year as far as workload, right? Probably about four plus months before injury gets to him again, because you would think that the stamina would still be a thing that needs to be taken care of, essentially. Now, the quality of inning, though, when he pitches, I'm willing to bet that the velocity isn't just gone. That he isn't all of a sudden going to be a 93 mile per hour guy again. Maybe he is. Maybe the shoulder doesn't repair enough or he doesn't get back to where he is. But if I were a betting man and I had to make a decision, I would say velocity comes back. Not necessarily to 96.5, but 94.5 to 95, I would think so. Which then makes me feel, wait, if I'm saying four months of Carlos Rodon with that velocity, yeah, definitely give me Carlos Rodon above Sean Manaya. And I find myself very tempted to take Rodon in the 10th, 11th rounds of my 12 teamers just because he's that good if that works out well. And ATC is showing a $15 value in less than 130 innings, so you're also getting the replacement level stat value on top of that. Um, I mean, he was a little bit lucky last year, 82% strand rate, 267 Babbitt, which is low but not that low. Uh, he has a bad ground ball rate. That's a one dink in the ar- chink in the armor, but uh, I mean, he, he, he's great. Uh, $5 bargain in the 10th round. Uh, I mean, to me, he, he, there's another hot spot here with Radon and Minaya. Ruben? He had Tommy John surgery in May of 2019. He pitched 42 innings over the course of two years, of 2019 and 2020, and 132 innings last year when he started getting shoulder fatigue. If, he, if you want him for 132 innings or 140 innings, that's fine, but where you're where you're getting him, you sort of want more because his inning value is is high because he will get you a lot of the strikeouts. Now he's you mentioned that he's throwing harder, he's throwing two miles per hour faster ever in his career, but that's after Tommy John surgery and it led to shoulder fatigue. So is he going to do the same thing this year? If it does, it may lead to the exact same issue again. I'm a little nervous, because, and I think that's why. And and Carlos Rodon, they kept trying to ramp him up, and then he and then he had a setback. Ramp him up, and then he had a setback a couple of years ago. And I think the White Sox are just they were nervous about it. That's why they let him go. So now I have an actually interesting question. If you're in an AL only league, or an NL only league, do you touch Rodon or you just leave him because you don't know where he's going? You don't know how many innings he's going to get. I mean, you know he's good, but how long will it last for? So I'll say this, in an AL only, if you know he's on an AL team, I can't really tell you about the odds, the 50-50 there. Um, But if it's a Roto League, yes, I'm in. If it's a head-to-head, no. Because I would say when it comes to Rodon this year, I'd say it's a lot more likely that he's injured in August, September. That's when he's missing time because we think this is just a fatigue thing. I wouldn't be surprised to even say he's coming back from Tommy John and he just hasn't thrown 
180 innings for a while. He just, his shoulder wasn't ready for that. It makes me even think that maybe it's a shoulder fatigue and less of an actual damage, which means, yeah, he just needs offseason rest. He needs to, you know, space out the starts a little bit better uh, through the year. And he might be able to throw 140, 150 as opposed to 135 because, you know, he's ramping up again, right? But, I, I mean, I look, the fastball, it's, it's not just like it's two ticks. He went from a 6% swing striker in his four-seamer to a 16% swing strike rate on his four-seamer. It, it, it's crazy how good it was. And I can't... I, I, I'm an addict for this, guys. I, this is my favorite thing in baseball. Or, you know, guys I had ranked outside initially the top 100 or so that all of a sudden show up doing something different and just dominate the sport. And that's what Carlos Rodon did. And I can't, I, I don't know how to value a potential top 10 pitcher. I I mean, I mean I, not even top 10, top five with this late in the draft, like how we should weight that versus the potential injury that we think is going to still persist. It's a really hard one to answer. And yeah, I think it's based on your style as a, as a fantasy manager and how you want to position yourself, you know, entering opening day. Well, certainly if we think it's just a matter of uh, the risk is the, the number of innings it's worth taking. If it's does he pitch at all, that's a different story. Sure. Uh, if we think we can get 110 innings out of him, it's probably worth that risk, you know. Yeah, I would think so. Um, here's before we do our next one, I've got a bonus trivia question here and I do Ooh. them in uh Z-score style here. Can you name all of the pitchers, and there are five of them, that ATC projections project for a Z-score of at least positive .1 in both ERA and WHIP? So not just above average for the player pool, but even slightly more, at least point a tenth of a standard deviation above in both ERA and WHIP. I'm very big on it's more important to draft the ratios than the strikeouts because the strikeouts you can get from volume. You can you can roster a two-star pitcher in a given week and pump up your strikeouts if you've built up your ratios. So point one or more Z-score ERA and WHIP projected for at least 140 innings, so some sense of volume, and going after pick 75, so you know sixth round or later in a 15-team league. Who are the five pitchers that qualify for that? Well, okay, so the one, I'm not going to say one because I assume it's the next pitcher on the list, which makes a ton of sense in my mind. So I'm not going to take that one. I'm not going to take that free space on the bingo card. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to get my bingo on the far right column. Um, I'm going to say Charlie Morton is there. Charlie Morton, number one. Very good. Yeah, I love Charlie Morton this year. I really do. I understand the whole shin injury uh, or the fractured shin. Is that exactly what it was, Ruvain? Yeah, for fractured lower leg, yeah. Oh, God. That, wow. And he pitched through it, by the way, for like half an inning, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. But he's so talented. I mean, the cutter wasn't as good last year, but didn't matter. The The curveball was amazing, and the fastball got a ton of called strikes. Um, You said 3-4 ERA? Is that right? Uh, a, a plus, it's an ERA of at least .1 Z score or uh, or greater. So, uh, I can't remember the exact ERA equivalent, but it's it's the it's at least the top uh, 40th percentile of the league, something like that. L- okay. League up uh, active player pool. Is one oh. of them John Means? No. Yeah, the ERA is gonna be too too low. I think. Yeah. The and by the way, good. Rodon would make it if not for the innings. Yeah, we'll right. Right. I I'm trying to think about it. this. Is this is tough? Okay. Yeah. No. 
you don't have Strowman up there, do you? No, no. Yeah, because the whip should be down. Um, Strowman there. Uh, do you still have Wainwright because of the defense in, in St. Louis? No, I don't have Wainwright on this one. Man, okay, I'm trying to think outside the top 75, but maybe it's like right around it. So uh, maybe Darvish could be there. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Too many home runs. Oh, man. Is, is See, I told Joe you I was bad Ryan at trivia. There? Is Joe Ryan, Ryan there? is not there, no. Barrios. Barrios no. is too high in the ADP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't even think the ratio stuff too. Man, I am. I'm absolutely failing this. I. Oh, you got one. I get. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Can you give me the free bingo card one? I mean, that's Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett is one. I'll give you the other couple. Uh, before I give you the other couple, I'll tell you who just missed it for the innings: Verlander, Kershaw, oh, Kershaw, yeah. Shane right. Boz makes it. If oh, interesting. What, what about Kopech there? Mm, no, I don't have him the here. innings, I imagine. And probably the innings. Mike Clevenger probably. also for the innings. Right, uh, right. Trevor Bauer, but that's a different story. I'm not going to. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, but the, the the other ones, other than Morton and Bassett, Sean Manaya that we just mentioned before. Oh, really? ERA? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What ATC do you have, has him. ATC RA for uh, Sean Manaya is 375. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, so the others are Jack Flaherty. Wait, he's going outside the top 75? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's going later because yeah. of injury concern. Yeah. Are you concerned, Ruvain? Um, A little bit, because, uh, but not so much. Only because of the fact that 2020 was crazy for him. He started, he stopped, he started, he stopped. He was on six-day yeah, six rest, 10-day rest. I think that threw him all off, and I think last year was just a continuation of that. So I'm, well, I'm not well, overly concerned. About oh wait, wait. That. So about the about the injury risk or or the yeah. The, I I think it was just the starting and stopping from 2020. Yeah. It was still playing into it from 2021. So sure. I, I I'm not as concerned because I think he would have come. I, th- I I'm not I'm not overly concerned. Just put it that way. I'm not. Uh, I'm more concerned about Kershaw than I am concerned. Oh about yeah, Flaherty. absolutely. No, I mean the 32nd, not even pitch on Jack Flaherty. He was a stud until he had the oblique injury last year, uh, and. He was a stud in 2019. He would have been a stud in 2020 for Warren Free at a starting stop in COVID being COVID. And then he came back. 2021 was a stud. Then he had an oblique injury. And then he had the, the shoulder strain. I mean, fatigue because he was coming back. Because and because, I think, it's because of the oblique. It has yeah, to be exactly. because of the oblique. So it's, that's what it is. Right. And then so they're like, you know what? Let's just put you in relief and we'll we'll bring you back in full next year. So I'm actually very much in on Flaherty. To me, it was just really one injury of an oblique, which is like, well, sometimes you get an oblique injury and you got to deal with it. Uh, and his skill set is still there with the best defense in the majors by far. It's a thing I undervalued last year so much. And Jack Flaherty should be, I mean, if he's going outside the top 75, I will be getting him in every single draft. Yeah, and these are the profiles that I love. Uh, the other one is Pablo Lopez. Oh, I should have gotten Pablo. Uh, well, the innings is the one I was. Uh, I didn't he just think about over one forty, like one forty three, I think. Oh, I, okay, because I mean he's always had a shoulder thing, and I'm scared about that. And yeah. I, oh, I was joking before about Sandy Alcantara being the nicest guy. Pablo Lopez actually is the nicest guy. Is there any Marlins pitcher you don't think is a nice guy? Um, Edward Cabrera. He stinks. Now I'm just joking. I'm really... okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm wonderful. gonna give a bold prediction that Pablo Lopez out earns Alcantara. 
in oh. five by five. It's a bold so you, prediction. Oh, you're only saying that because of innings. Then you're, you're essentially saying the bold prediction is that Pablo Lopez essentially gets like 170 to 180. Well, innings. I mean, it's all inclusive. Is that Alcantara regresses more to his, uh, you know, Sierra? Uh, but that's, I mean, again, a bold prediction is something that's like a 10 to 30 percent. Yeah. Likelihood. Thank you for saying that because I instruct my staff 10 percent. One out of 10 should be their goal. Uh, I think I think 20 is okay too. Um, you know, it depends. Uh, but not more, not more than not more than twenty to twenty thirty. Uh, but th- yeah, not a crazy prediction, but something and not right. an expectation. Like the, pr- the, yeah. the purpose isn't being right; it's just to showcase the possible yes. extremes. Correct. And that's the fun Correct. of it. And so I get fine. really upset. I get really upset when I see like tweets or, or comments or whatever they that look back in September or November or whatever, and they say, "Oh, this guy got went zero for ten in his bold predictions," and I'm like, "That's not." The point of them. Stop trying to grade us on those predictions. If we want to actually be right, we would have been less outlandish, you know? Right. And But over time, though, you should, if you do it right, your bold prediction should be 2 out of 10. Over, yeah, over, over right. Time. You're, you're like, you're saying, cool, like 1 out of 10, but like, hey, I'd like to get 2, you know? It's not supposed to be like 7 out of 10. Like, what are you doing? That's not I go for more like 10, 10 to 30%, so 20 for mm. me is, is like about average, you know? But anyways, uh, so let's talk about Chris Bassett, who falls in this category. Um, you know, since 2018, he has not had an ERA over, let's say, 3.8. He is a career 3.47 ERA. Swinging strike rate is ticking up every year, just like Mr. Alcantara. Uh, <laughs> it was it, no, it's not even, it's not great, but it was seven and nine, and now it's ten. Strikeout rate 25 percent this year. His walk rate excellent, lowered to six percent. Uh, he was a tad lucky, maybe a 271 BABIP, 78% left on base percentage, which is not very lucky, but a little bit lucky. ATC is regressing him to 374, but it's the whip. The whip is under 1-2. And th- this profile I really like because, again, you can build around this profile everywhere else. You can get a high strikeout guy, not a great ERA later, if you roster Bassett. And this guy, listen, gets he gets hit with a pitch and he comes back. This is a tough guy, like Charlie Morton. Um, I really like this guy. What about you? So my favorite new stat, and it's not that new, um, but it's on our player pages now, and it's just I'm super exposed to it all the time, and I'm just in love with it. It's a hard contact percentage, which is hard hit percentage over PA instead of batted ball event. Alexander Chase has a fantastic article, pretty much all these series of articles showcasing why these uh, StatCast metrics we've been using should be over plate appearance as opposed to batted ball event. They're just is it, is better. Is it similar to barrel rate? Uh, barrel rates and hard hit contact rate, a little bit different. Um, barrel rate, <clears throat> well, more hard contact is just defined as 95 miles per hour or harder. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, barrel would, would include the right <clears throat> launch angle and right Yes, now. yeah, right. It needs to be uh, between, I think, 17 and 25 yeah. or something like that, 19. But I, uh, but regardless, it's a really good way of just saying overall how how often do they limit hard contact? We've been saying that for a while, but not actually in the right context. And now we can actually say, when a guy steps up to the plate, how often do they allow a hard hit from them? That seems like the best way of doing this, right? And Chris Bassett, twentieth in the majors last year among starting pitchers for hard contact allowed, which is really really good, twenty one point seven percent. Um, the elite was uh, Freddie Peralta, if you can believe it, around 18%. Um, but uh, 20%, that's excellent. And we can also uh, look at it now not only as a, the overall pitcher, but their individual pitches and have these league averages for it. So, for example, uh, for sinkers, 32% is the hard contact uh, for an average sinker, okay? 
And for Chris Bassett, 26% last year, a lot lower. And he has this magic sinker that not only limits hard contact more so than the average sinker, but also has an elite called strike rate at 27%. And my biggest concern about Bassett over the years has been, okay, fine, you have this sinker that, this magic sinker, as I like to call it, but you don't have a, a proper put-away pitch. Well, there's two things, actually, that I overlooked. Um, one was an adaptation of a slider last year uh, that he did use a ton in two-strike counts and 18% swing strike rate, got him a good amount of strikeouts, helped push up that strikeout rate to 25%, but also a four-seamer that missed bats nearly 16% of the time. That's really, really good. Uh, and it makes me consider this guy Bassett, who for a while I was thinking of a kitchen sink guy, had this called strike sinker, and then a cutter, a changeup, a slider, a curveball, and a four-seamer, and whatever worked, worked. Now I see him as, oh, he's really good at eliminating hard contact with that sinker, and then actually has a put-away offering in both his four-seamer and his slider. So I'm kind of interested. I don't think that the athletics are trading him. Maybe they do. We don't know. We haven't heard news for ages. But if he stays in Oco, I kind of think that Bassett can keep that super low walk rate once again. So 6% last year, last four years or 7%. Uh, that will help propel his whip south once again. He had a 7.3 hit per nine. Bassett could stay around there. You know, it was eight in 2020. What do you know is a 116 whip with that hit per nine? That's fine. It's still a really good whip. Um, and the ERA, I don't really think is going to soar to four and change. Maybe it goes up to 3.5, 3.6, or something like that, but nothing too egregious. And all of a sudden, you have yourself a really solid arm. I've actually been saying I'm pushing up Bassett probably to about 35 or 36 in my ranks, something like that, above all the injury questions that are in uh, that tier for me. So I'm all in, I think, on Chris Bassett this year. Yeah, we, we ATC has him as the number 34 pitcher. Uh, to yeah, me, there you go. Look at that. Yeah. I think that's the the best we've agreed on a guy ever, Ariel. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think we were agreeing more this year than than in the past. But uh, well, maybe well maybe how much you bid up Wheeler last year, we agreed on him. <laughs> I guess we'll so. never forget that is it. True. I was so upset at you. I was like, just let me have Wheeler. This year we'll bid up Alcantara, so that's fine. No, you won't. I won't do it, and yeah. you'll be stuck with him, and you'll be so upset. So you had Wheeler that must have been in Tout Wars, right? Yes. Right, because in labor, we did not have Wheeler, and yeah, then af yeah. after a month and a half, I tr we traded Jazz Chisholm for Wheeler. I know. I saw that, and I could not believe it. I could <laughs> not believe it. Not bad, right? Oh, my God. Oh, and it's not – okay – it's a great trade for you, but overall, yes. not a great trade. <laughs> Sorry. With 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 Bassett, I saw that their rank, the rate, um, the projections are showing that he can have anywhere between 139 innings and 186 innings. Why is that range so high? I I don't understand. He threw 157 innings last year. Okay, that was the most he's ever thrown. But why is there such a huge range of throwing 139 innings to 186 innings? That that just blew my mind. I don't understand that. Yeah, I think 144 from 2019. We never saw the extended amount. I, I mean, I don't know. You guys know projections better than I do. I don't have them that low. I have them just throwing the entire year for the athletics. Well, I can I can answer that 139 question. I know what projection that is. That's Dan Zimborski's projection. Uh, that is that is uh, uh it's a, one of the reasons why you shouldn't use the Zips projection straight for anything that you do in fantasy. Instead, if you use the Zips DC, the depth chart projection, that has 171 innings for him. 
Uh, ah. he, he has some kind of weird way of, of doing it where he calculates something, but the, those innings are, are very poor to you. So uh, ATC actually throws that number out uh, because those numbers don't matter for him. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there we go. Uh, two more pitchers I want to touch on. One is Bailey Ober, who has gotten helium in the fantasy community, but not in the mainstream NFBC where these ADPs come from. 17th round, but ATC says he's worth a couple of rounds better than that. And ATC is usually not high on these prospects, but they are not very high, but definitely higher than the market on Bailey Ober. Uh, we're talking same ratios as last year, 4-16 ERA projection, 1-2 whip. Again, at that price point in the 17th round, that is excellent ratios. And the strikeout rate is about a K per nine, uh, maybe a tad better if he has a little bit of improvement. The big thing for me is the walks. He's not going to hurt you that much because that walk rate has been really good, and it seemed to stick last year. Uh, I think that in the 17th round, that is a good gamble either way. Uh, I think Ober is definitely a good pick. Do you agree, Nick? So, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for skipping the guy before him. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I just don't want to talk about that guy. But I do want to talk about Bailey Oberrizzi. Um, and he's called that from me because he throws elevated four-seamers like Jake Oderizzi does. And I kind of dig it. He's got a really, really good four-seamer. The question is if the slider is going to take that next step or not. And we actually saw moments last year where Oberizzi's uh, slider came into play down and away. And it was glorious. It was so wonderful when that happened. But it was inconsistent. And I don't know if we're going to see it. Uh, right away. I think given, um, uh, I, I always call him Oberizzi. I can't not do it now. Anytime that he, uh, okay, I'll say this. I don't know if he's going to take the next step for the twins next year. The walk rate seems good. Um, I'm generally cautious of, of rookie pitchers of uh, 90 innings or so, or a little bit lower. Like I think of Dane Dunning, for example, in his 25% K rate when he first came up and, we were all like, oh, maybe he's going to be a strikeout guy. Then we all forget who Dane Dunning is now on the Rangers. And so I don't really know if Bailey Ober, given the lack of depth in the repertoire, how easy it is to jump on. Say like Alec Manoa, though, I feel a lot more confident in what he does, given that he has two elite pitches. We know they're elite, and I don't expect that to change, kind of. So it's just one in this four-seamer that isn't nearly as elite as anything we've seen. But if the slider does become that proper complement, it does improve the four-seamer as well. So maybe that can jump from a 12.6% swing strike rate, which is kind of pedestrian. Um, well, I mean, it's a little bit – it's above average relative to everybody's four-seamer. But when it's a number one pitch in the thing for a guy, um, a 12.6 is good. But it's not like, oh, man, I got to call my mother. I uh, Then, you know, hopefully that can take another leap if that slider comes into fruition. I don't know if it will. The Twins aren't going to win a whole lot. Maybe they will. Maybe the offense is okay enough. It's the Central. You never know what's going to go on the AL Central. Um, but, I, yeah, Bailey Ober is, is someone for a 15-teamer. I'm fine at, like, the end of it. Uh-huh, but yeah. I feel kind of – I I, I, I wouldn't feel great starting him a lot in April. I want to kind of figure out who he is first. Um, interesting. Um, he he pitched uh, a combined with the minors. He pitched a uh, uh, hundred and eight innings last year. And again, the lockout helps. If there's if there's uh, a month off, again, whatever his innings, which might be just under one forty, let's say for example, if they pushed him thirty more, uh, it's going to be 
more of the percentage of the season, so I like him even better. But you're right, 12-team league, maybe not, although maybe he's a, uh, a streamer in a 12-team league, let's say. But in a 15-team league, I think he's a good value. Ruben? I'm going to throw out a bold prediction here now. I think Bailey Ober will have the most fantasy value of any of the twin starting pitchers this year. How about that? Okay. That very bold? Last year, um, well, considering he hasn't pitched that many, had that many starts, like I mentioned before about the about True. the twins, the twin starting staff. That's it's a very weak starting staff. So just to pick a random person, I'm not saying he's random. But to pick him, you know, I, you, you could have picked Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy's there. I mean, you could think Bundy's going to have more value than Ober. I don't think so. I I, th- I think well, Ober has a better chance because yeah. he pitched 92 innings last year. His K rate was 9.3, but in the minors he never had a had a K rate of less than 10, which means that he does have the capacity to be that big strikeout pitcher. His fastball was on average like 92, his slider at 81, a curve at 75. In case you don't know his his repertoire, that that's what it is. He's not going to overpower you. He plays for the Twins, which again. They're not going to be that good. They're not going to get a lot of wins, so you're not going to get a lot out of there. But he can be a sneaky guy to get strikeouts. He can be a sneaky guy very, very late, and you can pay very little for him. Now, again, I I keep bashing the Twins here. I have to say, I don't hate the Twins. My favorite player growing up was Curry Puckett, okay? I don't hate the Twins. I just think they're in for a stretch where they're not going to be doing well. That's all. And I think the best pitcher on the team will be Joe Ryan this year. Yeah, it's so interesting. Okay, I I got to—I'm not going to— Hmm. I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, Dylan Bundy and Ravain, I actually want to hear a little bit more of your thoughts here because Dylan Bundy's slider is elite still. Um, and please actually, don't, please, Bailey, don't, please don't make me puke. Don't make me puke. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, Bailey Ober and him have a, something in common in that they both have a curveball that they throw for called strikes very effectively. And what happened last year was that Dylan Bundy actually wasn't bad for like a good month of the year. And then he went on this really weird, all of a sudden just terrible stretch. And then he got hurt, and that was Dylan Bundy's season. Um, And 2020 was excellent. And there's a part of me that thinks, hey, the Twins, well, they got Kenta Maeda from the Dodgers, and what did they do? They said, oh, you have a really good slider. Throw that a lot more. And all of a sudden, Maeda became like a 40% slider guy and had success doing that. They didn't have a slider as much last year and so on and so forth. They got Tommy John, but... I can see Dylan Bundy pushing his slider above 30% and actually even closer to like 35 and maybe even 40 or so in Minnesota. And they're actually being some sort of renaissance once again. I'm just, I'm not going to rule it out. I think you're right, Ariel Cohen. Joe Ryan seems like the most finished product of the lot. But I, I will say that none of them have two pitches I love. All of them have one. Bailey Ober's four-seamer. Joe Ryan's four-seamer, and Dylan Bundy's slider. And to me, I haven't drafted a single twin yet because of this. I I, I think I don't know who's going to actually pan out well. I think April's going to be really hard for me to trust a lot of them. Joe Ryan is my favorite, the one I trust the most out of the gate. But I don't know. The Tigers hit him really hard. And the other, the other four games were against the terrible Guardians and the terrible Cubs lineups. And I don't know if Joe Ryan's even is super great. So... Well, that's why it's a bold prediction, because it, it, oh, it can happen. Go. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but it can sure. happen. Sure. I would say bold prediction, Dylan Bundy is better than any pitcher on the Royals. That's not even that bold, is it? No, it's not really. No. Yeah, it's not that bold. <laughs> Barrett is the best player on the Twins and the best player on the... Oh, I can't say Tigers. Can I? Oh, man. Um, best pitcher. Eduardo Rodriguez. 
Yeah, I know. Eduardo Rodriguez kind of messes that up. But maybe Eduardo is like actually still a 4E Ray guy. I'm not going to rule that out. Uh, possible. Possible. <laughs> well, uh, Dylan Bundy had over a 6 ERA last year. So let's. Yeah, see. well, yeah, well th- that's why it's bold, Ariel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> Final pitcher tonight. This is a little bit deeper. Chris Paddock, who has mm. been one of our favorites over the years. 26th round in the NFBC, so we're talking a waiver. Uh, we're talking a bench pick in the in the NFBC 15 teamers. Um, he's swinging strike rate 11 percent recently. Strikeout rate 24 percent. Great walk rate over his career 5 percent, which is wonderful. Career Sierra of 393, which is pretty good. Uh, whip career one one thirteen, I believe. So he's got the you know he's got the tools. He's done it in the past. Why has he gone astray, uh, Nick, and do you believe in him for next year? I mean, hard contact is all you need here. Uh, in 2019, uh, Chris Pack's hard contact rate for his four-seam was 22%. 2020, it was 41%. 2021, it was 35%. With this changeup, 19% hard contact in 2019. Then it was 22, and then last year was 275 Something's going on here. Uh, there's been a lot. Of, there's been a lot of talk about the spin axis of his four seam. As essentially, the active spin has been worse because of how it's coming out of his hand and all of this, and it just makes it for a worse fastball. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why it's getting hit harder. I don't know. Uh, a pick in Paddock is faith that all of a sudden he'll get back to those 2019 numbers of limiting hard contact. I think it's a major stretch at this point. Uh, we were also hoping entering 2020. That Chris Paddock's ch- uh, curveball, or actually really entering 2021 as well, that his curveball will also become a bigger pitch for him, and he'll get the right shape for it. Yeah, no, not not at all what happened. Uh, the curveball still a really bad strike pitch. It's actually even worse in 2021 with just a 50% strike rate, which is very low. You always want to see above a 60% strike rate at the very minimum. So, yeah, Chris Paddock, uh, he's also the sixth guy right now for the Padres. I very much prefer Nick Martinez. Who, who the Padres just got. I think he's actually kind of a sleeper right now. Might as well just take a chance and see what he's like in the first week or two. But, I, yeah, I don't really love this. I don't I don't believe that Paddock is going to look anything close to his 2019 self, and that has me very scared. Yeah, to me, he's a matchup play at best right now. Ruben? Yeah, I his injury aspect, he did receive an injection to- to his elbow right before the season ended around yeah. the end of September, beginning of October. And he was expected to make a full recovery from a slight UCL sprain with a six to eight week period of rest and and, and followed by rehab. Is that elbow still going to bother him? Probably. I mentioned this in the podcast previously. The Padres don't have a great history dealing with this type of injury. We'll just look at the Nelson Lamed and, and he had setbacks. And, and now they also have to deal with um, Clevenger as well, who's, who's coming back from the surgery as well. Um, Paddock, he, he was a little bit unlucky. His 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 strand rate was at 60%. I don't know why that happened. Um, it could have been that, again, just a hard hit contact again. Um, his home run to fly ball rate, though, was cut in half compared from last year compared to 2020. So that's good. So, you know, you don't know his exact role. He may be a bulk reliever type guy where they have an opener and he comes in the middle. He may be that type of guy. I don't know if he's going to be what he was in 2019. I think that that ship may have sailed, at least until we know that he's fully healthy. So I'm I'm a little nervous getting him. If you want to take a waiver on him and you and he costs and he's, he's costing almost nothing now. If you want to take a waiver on him and hope that he hits, fine because he's a guy you can drop first or second week in the season. We got ship imagery. We got train imagery. Good stuff, Ruben, today. <laughs> no, you know, I'm, and the I'm plane of the fastball here. is not what you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, 
Here we go. All right. Well, well for the next <laughs> podcast, I'll drive. I'll drive a Porsche here, and then we'll be fine, right? Oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> Let's do one uh, or two. Uh, one or two mailbag questions. Uh, sure. Daniel asks, which SPs outside the top fifty in ADP have the highest chance of finishing as top twenty end of season? What say you, Nick? Uh, so top fifty ADP of pitchers. I uh, not like a, um, not, not overall fifty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fifteen. Uh, I the highest chance outside of the top fifty eighty. Okay, so I don't know exactly who is there. Wainwright. Um. Yeah, Wainwright probably. I mean, to me, it's uh, you need volume. So a lot of the guys that I enjoy that I say, oh, I can't wait to draft my Wascarinoa and whatnot. It's a lower chance just because I they're not gonna you know if you have two hundred innings of Wainwright or something like that then he's gonna have more wins and generally, uh you know it it's gonna speak to the possibility of being inside of a plate Raider at top twenty right, I uh, so, uh yeah Wainwright's a good one um I'm gonna say something absolutely crazy, mm-hmm. and say it's something like you can say something like Aaron Ashby if he gets his start uh if he gets his chance starting for the 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 Brewers. Or maybe something like John Gray. I was about to say Gray. Yeah. I I'm really excited, honestly. I mean, I could be really stupid and it could be. Patrick Sandoval also, you would say. Oh, I mean the the panda. Yes. Uh Irish Panda, as I said. Then I said add an extra A accidentally, so now he's the Irish Panda to me. Yeah. Um but I John Gray's a really fun one there. There's Josiah Gray too, who's also super nasty and does a lot of fun stuff. Just command as a question. What Um, about Corey Kluber? Corey Kluber no. was picked up by <laughs> the Rays. The Rays know what nah. they're doing when they're it comes gonna to let, pitching. They're not going to let him with the volume. No, I, I think it's I think the, the, the annoyance of yeah, how they use Corey Kluber. And the problem with Kluber last year is they didn't have his cutter. Uh, the breaking ball was good. The velocity in the fastball was still a tick down, which wasn't helping anything, considering it wasn't good beforehand. But the cutter used to be the strike-getting pitch for Kluber, and it really wasn't there consistently last year. The changeup got better, but... There's a lot to fix here with Kluber. Uh, let me throw out Alex Cobb. That's mm. interesting. Giants, uh, new new team can fix them. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say again, like I did. Um, you know, I saw Casey Bubba mention this. And I couldn't agree more. Um, I you know, Robbie Ray. Well, maybe that's Patrick Corbin if he can find a way to get his strikes with his fastballs while reducing its uh, zone rate. It's kind of crazy to me. When Patrick Corbin was doing well in 2018, 2019, his zone rate as fastball was under 50%. But the last two years when he was struggling, zone rates were above 55% on us for a seamer. Yeah. And I wonder, can he get his strikes with his sliders uh, and get back to that place? Because I think that's really the problem is he just got clobbered with his fastballs. About so maybe um, Corbin could do it. Noah Syndergaard, also nah. possible high upside option. No slider or curveball being thrown by him. What about Domingo Domingo Herman? Yeah, I, I'm so conflicted about D- Domingo Herman. I mean, one thing from an, like an ethical standpoint, but I, I I do wonder how the Yankees are going to use that rotation. There's also like Nestor Cortez in there. I think he has an inside route ahead of Herman at the moment. Then of course you have Tyone coming back from injury. I think within a month of the season starting with that ankle injury. I hope that's the case. Yeah, yeah. And He's then you can think you think that also some starter will get signed by the Yankees as well then there's also Luis Heel who can maybe show up again in season so I think it'll be really hard for Ramon to get enough innings uh what are some late pitchers uh, ABFs what are some late pitchers in quality start leagues mm. I'm gonna say Marco Gonzalez yeah well that's the that's the signature 
Yeah. I uh, there are there's a group of I uh, I don't know what to call them. They're all four seamer slider guys. They're just fine. Um, you can like Chris Flexen kind of was that last Flexen. year. Uh, but like Cal Quantrill and James Caprillion. James Caprillion might be the sneakiest one yeah. there. Lauer, uh, Eric and Lauer, Casey Mize, Eric Lauer. I adore. Yeah, I'm all for Eric Lauer. Increases velocity last year. Uh, You're being too much with me ticks. today, Nick. No, Eric Lauer. I I have him circled everywhere. What I'm about Taiwan? Taiwan Walker. He had a good first half. Yeah, bad, bad second, second half. half. Oh boy, it's because he doesn't have anything except those four seamers. He did increase the velocity a tick last year, but on the four seamer, but the slider, curveball, whatever else, splitter, ugh, it all you know isn't very good. How about Steven Matz onto the, the, oh, the uh, yeah. good fielding team, right? I mean, I, I feel like the, the helium has gone too high, though, on Steven Matz. Uh, I could be wrong. I mean, if he's still going like out, well outside 200 and stuff, like, yeah, I'm down. But yeah. I, I've seen it higher. I'm like, ah, just, that's, nah. Steven Matz well, doesn't have enough in the repertoire. But a bunch of names there for you, uh, AB. Uh, Ruvain, any, any injuries to report this week? Yes, we do. Um, we'll start with, let me get my list here. We start with Charlie Morton. You mentioned Charlie Morton earlier. He's caught up in where he should be for, for spring training. Um, he's, that's what he said. He should be good to go, so there should be no innings limits on him. Lance McCullers. He said he's behind in his expected rehab timeline, and he isn't sure if he's going to be ready for opening day. So that's something to keep a track of, especially because he's being drafted pretty high up. And a guy who, Nick, I think you may like, we haven't mentioned him at all, Nick Lodolo from the Reds. <laughs> he threw a bullpen session for the, at the Reds training site, and he hasn't he isn't expected to have any limitations during the Martin, during the Marlins spring training. Um, he ended last year in the aisle with a left shoulder strain. He's a possible option for the Reds rotation, and he's one of their top guys. What do you think? Have you heard of him? What do you think of him? Well, I'm I'm looking forward to the day where there is a de facto Nick who is amazing in the majors. Okay? <laughs> Just like the one. That's like, oh, that's the one. I thought it was going to be Pavetta. It wasn't. <laughs> I uh, and I, I that would be really really happy with that. No, um, I I don't know too much about Lodolo. I will say that Nate Handy, um, one of our prospect experts here at Pitcherless, has him at number five among the uh, the top 100 prospect pitchers. So I'm very excited about Lodolo. I know he's a tall guy. Um, I believe from the left side. Uh, and I I don't talk much about prospect pitchers until they show up in the majors. Uh, but I did see that you guys said what is who is a minor league pitcher sleeper pitchers to surprise us. Lodola was one of the two that I was going to talk about. The other one, Reed Detmers. I don't want to forget him because curveball for strikes and sliders uh, missing bats last year when he had a good start against the Astros and still really young. The uh, first round pick for the Angels back in 2019. We might be seeing uh, Detmers uh, pretty soon. So I'm curious about both of those guys. Great stuff. And uh, you did have Lance McCullers Jr. on your uh, award-winning podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Great episode. Check that out on the Pitcher List podcast. Thank you very much. He's amazing. What a dude. I love him. Great show you did there. Great show there. Thanks, Ariel. Yeah. Well, that is the end of our show. This was an action-packed show. We went through a lot of names there. Lot of stuff, and we agreed a lot more than usual. I'm surprised, uh, but uh, th- I'm just I guess giving that means you a false sense right. of security. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, just a couple of weeks. Uh, Nick will face off against us. Uh, Labor at Tat Wars. Uh, looking forward to that very much. And uh, yeah, well, what else you got going on? You got PL7. Why don't you tell everybody uh, what, oh, what's man. going on with you? 
hey y'all i'm nick pollock um no it's we have a lot of things uh we just yeah we just redid our site uh we think our player pages are as good as you'll find anywhere um and with a lot of amazing granular pitch data you won't find everywhere else it's all stack has data so you can trust the data it's it's really cool stuff just look up any player on our player page at pitcherlist.com uh, uh, but yeah we have a ton of podcasts we have two feeds now so we have just general baseball podcasts if you just want to hear about the sport and on the fantasy lens as well uh i have twitch streaming and all of the amazing stuff i mean we have everything just come on by to pitcherlist come on through get pl plus hang out with us in our discord win your fantasy leagues and do it with all smiles on our faces as we talk positively and for the fun and passion of baseball. Ta-da. A lot of fun there. And uh, <laughs> follow Nick at uh, at PetroList on uh, Twitter. Uh, Ruben, uh, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates, everything I mentioned in this podcast, as well as others. I also have a weekly article on Rotobuller in season discussing injuries, next player up, and how long the players will be out for. I'm Ariel Cohen. You can find more my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. ATC projections are up on those two sites, plus at CBS Sportsline. Check them all out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, and uh, you can listen to us every week here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Uh, we're coming to you a little bit earlier in the week uh, this uh, this week here. No Friday regular podcast, uh, but we gave you it earlier in the week on Tuesday. And uh, that's because uh, Ruben and I are preparing. We're going to be in the war room when we usually record to uh, to try to win and take down uh, another expert league or two here. So uh, we'll see you the week after. But enjoy, guys, and uh, good luck in your leagues. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.